the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, I, you're indicating liberty and freedom. I look at it as a public health measure to prevent people from dying and going to the hospital. You don't think Americans' liberties have been threatened the last year, Dr. Fauci? They've been assaulted. Their liberties have. I don't look at this as a liberty thing, Congressman Jordan. Well, that's I look obvious. At this as a public health thing. <laughs> If there's one great back and forth that really defines the problems we've faced over the last few years with COVID, it's probably that exchange right there. That was Dr. Anthony Fauci going at it with Jim Jordan, a congressman. Uh, They're on Capitol Hill and Fauci was brought to Capitol Hill as a bureaucrat to be held accountable and answer questions to bring transparency. And the people asking the questions, as our founders intended, are the leaders in the legislature because the legislature is made up of politicians that were democratically elected by the people of America. They serve on our behalf. They are our voice on Capitol Hill. And then when we have people with power like Dr. Fauci who weren't elected, then they can be brought to Capitol Hill and the people that we elected to represent us can ask us the questions that we want the answers to. So that's what was happening there. And you can hear Dr. Fauci, you guys say right there, This wasn't about liberty or freedom. It's still not about liberty or freedom to me. It's about health. And that's a really good reminder for, wait a second, then why is he put in charge of making decisions, aka mandates, that actually force Americans into doing things that they don't want to comply with and that are pretty much unconstitutional? How does an unelected, aka can't be held accountable by the voters, How does an unelected bureaucrat like Dr. Fauci, who makes $400,000 a year, he's the highest paid bureaucrat in our federal government. How does he, who doesn't even consider the aspects of freedom and liberty of the American people, get given so much power over their lives? You would think that if you're in a position, like when you swear an oath of office, right, you have to you have to swear an allegiance to our country to fight enemies, foreign and domestic, all of these different things. You're pledging an oath and you're also, for the most part, supposed to be democratically elected because then you can be held accountable if you don't perform well. Unelected bureaucrats are incredibly hard to get rid of. Well, I played you that clip, you guys, because it looks like we are getting rid of Dr. Fauci. I mean, at least in his current role, he's probably about to get a huge paying gig. Who knows what doing what, whether it's like in media or if it's at some big fancy university, whatever it may be. Dr. Fauci is retiring from his government position. And thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because no one should be allowed to have that level of power if they are making such personal decisions over what an average American can do on a day-to-day basis if they are not considering the liberty and freedom of the American citizens. No one should have that level of power. And also no one should be paid that much. But You guys, let's get into the headlines, okay? Busy, busy week already. It's Wednesday. I hope you're having a nice time. I hope you're having a good week. Let's get into the headlines. So 
So first thing up, we're going to talk about the media for a second, because everybody's talking right now about Brian Stelter. He got his um, show canceled. Reliable Sources. (laughs) Uh, Reliable Sources was canceled from CNN. Apparently, the new leaders of CNN are going to try and make the company into a more nonpartisan, less opinion focused network and more about providing the hard hitting news. Now, on one end, I'm like, hey, this is kind of nice. Like, it's cool to see that people saw that we are lacking for hard hitting news coverage and they wanted to provide it and get away from the mess that CNN pushes, right? That's that's one simple way to look at it, what they're telling us. But at the same time, what is their opinion of hard hitting news? What is their opinion of proper hard-hitting news coverage. Because if you frame your company as, oh, we're the good guys, we're providing the nonpartisan coverage, you should come to us now. And they build this narrative around it, but then they end up just spewing left-leaning news. Maybe that's just as bad. And then you are you end up being a wolf in sheep's clothing. At least we could kind of see Brian Stelter and say, oh, he's pushing a certain narrative, right? Uh, so I'm interested to see how this rolls out. And if we're looking at it from not a naive perspective, but from a wholesome perspective that people really do at the top want to make CNN a more effective company for sharing actual news, then, hey, this this might be pretty nice. And I welcome that. Also something that Caught my eyes, there's this old footage, and I'm not going to play it right now, but if you guys look it up, there's an old piece of footage uh, of Brian Stelter at this, I think, National Association of Press or whatever the, the name of the national organization is. He's on a panel with like heavy hitters in terms of the history of media coverage, news coverage. So what really struck me about the whole conversation is just the very basic point that they made in the beginning of it's kind of hard to have just basic news coverage these days because we all have access to our phones. We have access to the Internet. There are so many sources online that we all know the basics of the news, right? Like we don't need the news to break by us turning on our TV and watching the news. We've already heard the basics of the news. And then now, for the most part, we consume content that is news style if we're looking for a breakdown and more of an opinion evaluation of it. And so uh, it was kind of interesting to see that because it does make sense. You know what I mean? Like we don't need someone to break down the basics of the news for us anymore. We could just see it in a a couple sentences and then understand what's going on. For the most part, we want a deep dive by someone that we respect the opinion of. And so that's really why one of the big reasons why we see the rise of opinion political shows. So I see both sides to it. I just want to put in a side note here. I recently moved into a new place. I'm loving it a lot. And I just, right before I started filming, set up my new holster system for indoor storage in my home. I use Vara Safety's Reach 2S. You guys are always asking how I conceal carry, how I store my weapon in my home. I keep mine in Vara Safety's product because when it comes to self-protection, I prepare and train for fast access to my gun. Gun safes are really great, but for someone like me who lives alone and wants to be able to defend myself if I ever need it. Uh, I really want to be able to have quick access in an emergency. So when I found out about Vara Safety's Reach 2S, it was really a game changer. This is different from a standard gun safe because it's a hybrid between a safe and a holster. So it looks like a sleek metal holster, but it keeps my gun locked and secure and it's mounted right next to my bed stand. All I have to do to get it is I have to grab my gun as if I'm pulling from a holster. My thumb naturally lines up onto a fingerprint sensor on the safe 
And it's just like drawing, but only authorized users can unlock it because of the biometric sensor. So it was really exciting to finally get one of these things. As soon as I grab my gun, I know it will unlock immediately and I'm set up with a proper grip right away. It eliminates all those extra steps when you're getting from a traditional gun safe. So that can really take up valuable time, right? But to put it back in, to secure your gun back in, you just reholster and push down the lock. It's super simple. It's by far the fastest way to get my gun, and it checks all the boxes for security and reliability. The company is also from my hometown area in upstate New York, and it's built right here in the United States. I'm very proud of that. So I hope you guys go check out Reach2S at varasafety.com. That's V-A-R-A safety.com. Okay, so speaking of the media, I wanted to let you guys know of a really dumb thing that I just saw. It says the New York Times claims Republicans of color are distorting the American dream. I'm looking at a redstate.com article. It says the New York Times makes another bogus claim that the geo, about the GOP base. This time they claim that the Republicans of color distort the American dream. Of course, this is nothing new from the Times, as they continue the narrative that the GOP has no diversity in the party. But it seems like they are threatened now because of people like Congresswoman Myra Flores from Texas and Lieutenant Colonel Jennifer Ruth Green and Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, who have recently won their races and represent the GOP in a very proud way. Not only has the GOP diversity grown in Congress, but it's also growing among voters who have made gains as they have made gains with minorities. So we are seeing a huge uptick of Republican voters, especially in the Hispanic community across the country and in the lower area of Texas. And then we're also seeing it in the, with a the rise in the black communities. Now, when it comes to Myra Flores, if you guys don't follow her on Instagram, you need to because she posts the best stuff. But she's wholesome. She is a mother of four. She's the wife of a border patrol agent, and she's a very, very proud, conservative, pro-God, pro-family leading woman. And she ran because she cares about her community. It's not her with this ambition to be in some high political office. It's truly a beautiful story. And some people look at her story and they say, oh, she's not American born or she shouldn't run here. Even her Democratic opponent You know, the Dems are all about diversity, right? The Democrats are all about pushing certain pro-immigrant narratives. Well, Myra came to America when she was about six years old. And she has these amazing stories of how I think she was working in farming fields and she was working in agriculture at a very young age and her family really struggled. Now she is a mother herself with four kids and a beautiful family. And she is a proud conservative. Because her pro-God, pro-family, pro-American values line up more with Republicans and more with conservatives. So she runs for Congress, right, down at uh, in a border town in Texas. McAllen is where I met her recently at a GOP event. And I kid you not, I was hearing about how her Democratic white opponent, a white male, oh gosh, right, <laughs> a white male decided to imply that he should represent the district because he was born here. And oh my goodness, the the narrative destruction that took place in terms of the democratic narrative they like to create about the embracing immigrants and, you know, hating white males and all this stuff and uplifting minorities, people of color and women over men, all of these things, all these uh, identity markers that they look for when they're pushing their agenda. Well, for some reason, Myra didn't qualify because even though she had all the diversity check marks that you'd think that they would want, 
She ideologically was also diverse, and by that, she didn't conform to the woke narrative that you need to be a, quote, progressive, which is actually regressive, liberal or leftist when you are a person of color. So they attacked her all sorts of ways. Her opponent attacked her immigration status, the fact that she was brought here at six years old and then grew to build this beautiful American family. And it was really disgusting to see. But I, I think I might have talked about this before. I went down to the county GOP dinner that was being held in McAllen, Texas, right after she won her race. And I got to speak there. And it was it was such a wonderful event. It was probably one of my favorite ones ever because the entire community was involved. And it was mostly Hispanic people in the crowd. And it was so cool to see how passionate they were and how against the identity narrative that the left has been pushing for quite some time. What's even cooler is that the church was so strong there. And Myra was telling me that her her campaign headquarters was literally at her church office. And her pastor was there too. And I got to meet him. I got to meet so many members of the church. And they were just so awake and alive and excited for the future because they all were banding together, not for some hyper-political purpose, but because they had values and a vision for their community. And they knew that if they banded together, they could be successful. And what do you know? They flipped a district that has been Democrat for, I think, 150 years is the number. It was an insane amount of time. And then they flipped it and Myra won. And she's, I think, 36 or so. She's in her 30s, but she is fantastic. So when that victory happened, you guys, that's when the left started to try and realize, oh, wait, maybe we need to stop saying Latinx and maybe we need to stop pushing uh, our wokeness onto these people that are actually very pro-family, pro-God. So either way, back to this, though, we're seeing them still have a hard time with understanding how on earth a person of color, as they like to say, a POC, could possibly vote Republican and be conservative. And they really are struggling with it, even though the numbers are showing them like, yes, you're wrong. So that's why they attack like Tim Scott and the rest of them as Uncle Tom's and, and, and such. But this article continues and it says the New York Times is in the camp that thinks Republicans of color should not be Republican. They still believe that minorities who support the GOP should not think for themselves and figure out which party better suits them. They should switch to the Democratic Party. As we have seen, especially as of late, minorities are flocking to the Democratic Party because they're seeing the failures of the Biden administration regarding the economy, the southern border, and the Afghanistan debacle, among other shortcomings. So this New York Times piece that Red State is talking about, it was by Jasmine Oloa, I believe is how you pronounce it. And she tweeted, my first Sunday A1 story. Yes, it was on page A1, you guys is a look at the history and political of evolution of a nearly 100-year-old idea weighted with meaning and memory, the American dream. So her title of it is How a Storied Phrase Became a Partisan Battleground. And I'm going to read you guys what Jasmine wrote about the American dream and people of color. Jasmine wrote, quote, For decades, politicians have used the phrase the American dream to describe a promise of economic opportunity and upward mobility of prosperity through hard work. Now, a new crop of Republican candidates and elected officials are using the phrase in a different way, invoking the same promise but arguing in speeches, ads, and mailings that the American dream is dying or in danger, threatened by what they see as rampant crime, unchecked illegal immigration, burdensome government regulations, and social 
policies that are liberal. She continued to say, but historians and other scholars warn that some Republicans are distorting and defining American idea and turning it into an exclusionary political message. The Republican Party is using it as a dog whistle. They are saying here is the potential of what you can have if we can exclude others from stealing it from you. <laughs> Yet even Democrats find themselves speaking of the dream as pessimistically as Republicans. Just as Republicans blame Democrats for destroying the American dream, Democrats believe the fault lies with Republicans. So this is interesting. I mean, how many times have you guys heard politicians say now, the American dream is no longer attainable because of blah, blah, blah. I think that the, the term, the American dream, went from being a very simple concept that, hey, in other countries where humans in general are still even in the, the 2000s, very oppressed and will never be able to move up in life. They're stuck in their class or whatever it may be. There's no opportunity. There's no true freedom. And there's no economic and financial freedom of the people that really empowers a, a person and their family unit to be able to grow and move up in life. That was the very basic concept of America, that if you work really hard, you can provide for yourself and get a, a very wonderful life here. And that's not materialistically, but that is more so just in the basic sense, compared to most of the world, we are still always so blessed to be here. Now, the left will look at something like the student loan crisis and the struggle that is put under the shoulders of people that have massive amounts of student loans. Because if you have $100,000 of student loans, you're not exactly looking to put a down payment down on a house anytime soon, right? And so they look at something like that and they say, it's really hard for young people to start up and build up their own American dream if they're strapped with all this student loan debt. So the American dream doesn't exist anymore. They say something like that. Whereas uh, Republicans and conservatives, we're looking at the collapsing economy in general. And we say the American dream is becoming less and less uh, available for people because basics are becoming hard to afford and it's very hard to start businesses. And I would say this is more so in blue states. Like if you look at New York or California, you have the highest state and local tax burdens in the country. One of their, I mean, I'm from upstate New York, so I'm specifically talking about New York, but growing up there, it was really, really hard to see the decay. There's no investments really in those communities because people are moving out. A million people moved out of New York state in the 10 years leading up to COVID under Governor Cuomo's leadership just because of how hard it was to live there. And so it was one of the hardest states to grow a family, start a family, start a business, continue a business, uh, do all of the things that really are a part of the American dream. And that's the sense where we're talking about it, where things are becoming very expensive and it's very hard to maintain businesses. And you see the government is attacking citizens as if we are some domestic terrorist in, internal enemies or whatever. And looking at all those things, it can e be easy to say, yeah, it feels like the American dream is under attack right now where we're supposed to be the land of the free. So everybody uses it, but just in a very general political term. What the New York Times is now accusing us of is saying, oh, the good old days with the American dream. You know what? Those were the good old days when you didn't have people of color and illegal immigrants and Mexican people or whatever, whatever they think we generalize the entire situation. The, the good old days were when white people could succeed before all these people of color were stealing our opportunities. That's why we don't have the American dream now. So they're accusing us of something that we're not even saying. I've never heard anybody say that. And I could tell you that of all my friends that are commentators and all that stuff, okay? I promise you, I haven't heard a single thing about it. It's not some dog whistle they are projecting onto us, okay?
So then to kind of cap it off, what she's saying is that these Republicans of color are distorting the American dream because they're adding to the narrative, right? They're joining in to the white Americans that are dreaming of the good old days where people of color didn't bother us, apparently. And the New York Times is saying that any any Republicans that are people of color, they're just adding to this dog whistle of this racial undertone that is actually being provoked when Republicans use the term American dream as if it's lost and as if it's not available anymore. So that's what they think of anybody who dares to disagree with them politically. And especially if you physically look like someone who they think should be in a certain box with them and you go against that tide. Oh, no, no. And you must have something mentally wrong with you, I guess, or you must just be used by them to push a racial racist narrative. But it's really, really sad to see. Now, kind of going in step with this woke narrative that's being pushed, one of the things we're seeing lately is the repercussions of uh, bail reform, where in leftist and liberal cities, blue cities, people, district attorneys, politicians, they are doing things like removing the requirements for usual bail. And it's basically becoming a revolving door where criminals can commit crimes And then they're sent to jail and then they're turned out and put back on the streets in like within 24 hours. And what do you know? People that don't respect other human beings, people that don't respect the safety and autonomy of another person's body and people that have bad intentions are going to continue to behave in bad ways. They're going to continue to hurt other people and they're going to continue to disrespect the basic aspects of our society. Why? Because they don't respect our rules. They aren't interested in complying with how our communities work and they want to bring chaos and they want to hurt. It's kind of like hurt people, hurt people. You know what I mean? I think that that's what we're dealing with here. These crazy people, sometimes there's people out there that are just evil. And when they are evil, they do bad things. Okay. Hurt people, hurt people. In this case, we're seeing that a lot of times it's actual physical violence. And for a long time when they were pushing bail reform, The left kept telling us, oh, this is just for nonviolent criminals. Don't worry. Like if you do a little X, Y, Z, you shouldn't go to Rikers, right? And spend your life there. You should at least get given a chance. And sometimes you're unfairly accused or sometimes you get given a sentence that's way too harsh and then it just makes you more violent and more frustrated with the system. So then when you leave jail, you just go out and actually become a violent person. So they kept telling us that we were being dramatic when we were concerned about the idea of criminals being released right away after they committed one crime, right? Like, doesn't that incentivize people to continue to just do more crimes if they know it'll just be a revolving door and all, th- all they have to do is like basically go into the building and get processed and then they're going to be let out free again? Well, I'm looking at a headline right now that says, man with over 40 arrests, including for assault, allowed to roam free on New York City subway. Now, this is a very recent story. It's basically all happening right now. And I want to tell you guys this because we were talking, I was talking with some friends and they showed me that one of the female hosts of the Young Turks, her name's uh, Anna or Anna. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. I would never do that on purpose, but she is on the left. I mean, the Young Turks is like socialist, you guys. She's on the left and she is even saying, what the heck is going on where we've neglected all basic public safety concepts and the concepts of justice just to continue to fit this weird woke narrative? Like at at some point you have to draw a line and say that 
other people are now at risk just because we tried to give somebody a little leniency and provide social justice to him. Like now we have no justice in this situation. So I respect her a lot for standing up and speaking out about this because she's getting attacked by people on the left right now. And she's like one of their darlings. She's a really big name for them. So back to the core story, though, that really started this. This article is by Trevor Shockle, and it's the Daily Caller. It says, a 49-year-old man already arrested more than 40 times was still not banned from New York subways when he allegedly assaulted a station worker at a Bronx train station on August 11th who was trying to protect passengers from his harassment, according to CBS News. Alexander Wright was ultimately charged Friday with felony assault and harassment, the outlet reported. New York Metropolitan Transportation Authority Chair and CEO Jano Leibier asked the same day that Wright be banned from the subway for three years, planning to send Bronx District Attorney Darcel Clerk a letter requesting the penalty, according to the New York Daily News. Wright cannot legally be banned for longer than three years, according to New York's Spectrum News 1. Wright had been arrested three times in one day last May for two assaults and criminal mischief that resulted in property damage. Imagine that arrested three times in one day, but because of New York's bail reform, they literally just have to see the guy commit the crime, arrest him, put him through the process and then release him back out. And he did it three times in one day. Okay. You can't help people that are like that. You guys, they need to just sit in jail. Criminals belong in jail. It says he has also been charged with assault as a hate crime and synthetic marijuana possession in the past. The system has let society down more than 40 times, says Transport Workers Union Local 100 Vice President Robert Kelly. At the end of the day, these are all similar cases of assault. So yeah, you guys, what happened is there's actually a video of this guy, um, this hate crime example that they were talking about. There's a video of him where he literally just sucker punches an elderly Asian woman in the face. And that was just one of the 40 times he's been arrested. And with that being said, like I, I just want to give a shout out to the Young Turks host for even bringing this up because I think providing justice in a situation like this uh, is more important than fitting a woke leftist narrative, even though that's what the rest of the crowd is doing. And so going against the grain on this is, is important because it's basic public safety and we're seeing a lot of crime rise in these cities. And as a woman in a city, I can't imagine how uh, fearful I'd be compared to other areas of the country. Thank goodness I live in a safe area. Um, But with that being said, let's move on, you guys. Now, the big story, what everybody's talking about, like I was saying earlier, Dr. Fauci is gone, okay? He is resigning. He's done. That being said, What I'm loving is that the Republicans are coming out of the woodwork to say this does not mean that just because his his job is done, it does not mean that the accountability that he is um, due for is going to just disappear. Okay, he's still going to be held accountable, especially if the GOP wins the midterms and wins back the House, hopefully the Senate as well. So the town hall article I'm looking at says Rand Paul explains what Fauci's retirement means for pandemic accountability. Republican Senator Rand Paul is vowing to continue his investigation into dangerous gain-of-function research and Dr. Anthony Fauci after the longtime bureaucrat officially announced his retirement on Monday morning. Rand Paul tweeted, Fauci's resignation will not prevent a full-throated investigation into the origins of the pandemic. He will be asked to testify under oath regarding any discussions he participated in concerning the lab leak. Earlier this year, 
Dr. Paul cornered Fauci for using taxpayer resources and his position to retaliate against scientists who disagreed with him. And you guys, here is that full exchange. Let's look into it a little bit because it is so good. Dr. Fauci, the idea that a government official like yourself would claim unilaterally unilaterally to represent science, that any criticism of you would be considered a criticism of science itself, is quite dangerous. Central planning, whether it be of the economy or of science, is risky because of the fallibility of the planner. It would not be so catastrophic if the planner were simply one physician in Peoria, then the mistakes would only affect that physician's patients, the people who chose that physician. But when the planner is a government official, like yourself, who rules by mandate, the errors are compounded and become much more harmful. A planner who believes he is the science leads to an arrogance that justifies, in his mind, using government resources to smear and to destroy the reputations of other scientists. Who just- okay, so I just want to cut in there. What he said about central planning is one of the most core fundamental principles of American government that we can discuss. Okay, the founders intentionally created a decentralized constitutional republic on purpose. Because it's really hard to hold people accountable, first of all, if they're not elected, right? So that's why we have a republic where we have elections frequently. But then it's also important because like Rand Paul was saying, human history proves when somebody goes unchecked and is the only decision maker and can have this this full power to make decisions with resources and force and the power of decision making via mandate, they might be wrong decisions. They could be flawed because humans are flawed. And as the Federalist Papers say, what Hamilton and Madison and John Jay said in the Federalist Papers and what the Anti-Federalist Papers were were saying with those writers, they understood that man is often easily corrupted, especially when given a little bit of power because they'll want more and more and more. They'll do what it takes to keep it. They aren't checked by responsible other actors And so we have a system of checks and balances in this country in many ways, whether it's the layers of our government from local, small, individual level government in our communities to state level and well, county level to state level to federal level. But then also within the levels of government, we have separate branches that are also interwoven, but separate and hold each other accountable. So executive, judicial and legislative. We have these separations because it helps keep people in check and it doesn't give one person too much power. Dr. Fauci, who in the clip that I showed you guys in the beginning, literally said he doesn't consider the aspects of liberty and freedom when making his decisions about health mandates and recommendations and suggestions and actual moments of use of force, a.k.a., you know, mandates that remove people's jobs from them if they refuse to get an experimental vaccine. All of those things are incredibly important when you understand that he doesn't consider freedom and liberty when deciding them. Let's get back into it. I disagree with him. In an email exchange with Dr. Collins, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Apparently there's a lot of fringe epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. And you quote in the email that they or from Dr. Collins and you you agree that they are fringe. And immediately there's this takedown effort. A published takedown, though, you know, doesn't exactly conjure up the image of a dispassionate scientist. Instead of engaging them on the merits, 
You and Dr. Collins sought to smear them as fringe and take them down. And not in journals, in lay press. This is not only antithetical to the scientific method, it's the epitome of cheap politics, and it's reprehensible, Dr. Fauci. Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? The, the email you're referring to was an email of Dr. Okay, I just got to cut in quick because he is asked a legitimate question. He's about to get exposed, and this is what the email chain shows that Dr. Rand Paul, Congressman Rand Paul is asking about, Senator Rand Paul, sorry, you guys, that Dr. and Senator Rand Paul is asking about. And Dr. Fauci's first reaction is to defend, 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 and attack Rand Paul for trying to politicize an issue. To sh- this shows really how out of touch Dr. Fauci is because Rand Paul is really representing the spirit of the people, if you ask me. Like, we're all wondering this. We're all PO'd about it. We're all frustrated. We've all been personally deeply affected by the decisions and failed leadership of Dr. Fauci for multiple years. And what does he do? He decides to attack Rand Paul. This is how ridiculous this man is. That's not what went on. You there you go again. That you was just do the same thing every hearing. That was your response. And so, this wasn't so, this wasn't the only time. So your desire to take you're down people incorrect as usual, Senator. You no. are incorrect. Almost everything. you Well, said. no, you deny. You deny. Right. But the emails tell the truth of this. No, this wasn't the only time. Your desire to take down those who disagree with you didn't stop with Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. You conspired with Peter Dazak, who you communicated with privately, and other members of of the scientific community that wrote opinion pieces for Nature. Five of them signed a, a paper for Nature, an opinion piece. Seventeen signed a paper that called it conspiracy theory, the idea that the virus could have originated in the lab. Do you think words like conspiracy theory should be in a scientific paper? Senator, I never used that word when I was referring to it. You're distorting Virtually everything. Did you communicate with the five scientists who wrote the opinion piece in Nature where they were describing, oh, this, there's no way this could have come from, was from the lab? me. What did I you did, talk with any of those see, scientists but privately? You keep, the, you keep the story you? the truth. It is, it is you stunning talk, how you do Did you talk that? to any of the scientists privately yes. who wrote the opinion? You did. Well, what were they telling you privately? Well, let me explain. You know you Okay, so just as a friendly reminder, you guys, Dr. Fauci was hearing from colleagues that have very credible educational backgrounds and experience who looked at the virus and said, this looks man-made and this looks concerning. This could be from communist China, all these things. And Dr. Fauci, there's emails of him literally saying to his staff, we need to discuss this immediately in the morning. And what he's referring to is the fact that these allegations were about to come out and be made public. And so they immediately started doing cover-up of this And they began to do discrediting campaigns against the scientists that were starting to come out against Dr. Fauci and his lies about the link to communist China. So they were trying to discredit scientists from places like Harvard and Stanford. And that's what Rand Paul is asking him about. Like, do you really think that's ethical for you when other scientists who are respected are trying to challenge your viewpoints on a scientific platform for you to have a slew of opinion pieces and attacks go out against them to try and discredit them as professionals? Really? So seeing that is really great because I love the hearings back and forth. I've told you guys this before on my YouTube 
Uh, I always am playing in the background, like when I'm getting ready in the morning and stuff, I'm always watching the Senate hearings and the House hearings because I like to hear the bureaucrats be asked the hard questions, be held accountable. Okay, last two stories. This one really caught my eye from Post Millennial. A federal judge, you guys, who rules on immigration issues was just arrested for human smuggling. This is horrific. I hate seeing these kind of stories. It says a licensed Texas attorney and federally appointed immigration magistrate was taken into custody for allegedly smuggling migrants and resisting arrest on Saturday. According to Galveston County Constable Jimmy Fullen, Timothy Daniel Jaffet was arrested and charged for smuggling of a human and resisting arrest in the county. Fullen made the announcement on his Facebook page, along with pictures of the guy and the four men he was accused of smuggling across the U.S.-Mexico border. Oh, my goodness. And so the guy posted, (laughs) this is pretty funny, the guy posted a picture of the judge and then the four guys he was smuggling and then the guy's open wallet that has his state bar of texas little piece of paper in his wallet it's just a quintessential version of corruption right there so you guys it's just such a friendly reminder that even if they have a fancy title or a fancy degree or any of these things there's often a lot of corruption in society and so when we see this kind of behavior it's important for us to hold these bad eggs accountable or else then what do you have anarchy that's what we see in the cities where they aren't sending people to jail, and then they end up punching multiple people in a row and hurting multiple people. Thank goodness that the man who had been arrested 40 times in New York City, and one of the times was a hate crime where he punched an Asian woman in the face. Thank goodness that she survived, but you can easily lose a life from being randomly sucker punched like that. And seeing that kind of, the kind of small violent crime on the streets, it's easy to kind of forget about it because it's not affecting us, but hey, it doesn't affect you until it's actually happening to you. So whether it's the the smaller crimes on the streets of New York or it's the massive crimes with people with big fancy titles, big names uh, down at the southern border, or even if it's like, hey, what the heck, Epstein and the flight logs and all of the evil high up corrupt people that are connected to that. I do believe that we need a, a renaissance of true law, order and justice in this country. And I think that will help us get on a, a better path moving forward. But that being said, let's move to the last story. If this one doesn't fire you up, I don't know. You must be dead. Uh, Let's see. World's youngest trans model has two trans parents and will have gender surgery at 16. So you guys, this is interesting. I saw a story about how there's some 10-year-old child who is doing runways and stuff like this. It's a biological boy, but the two trans parents of this biological boy are raising it as a girl. And now the the 10-year-old child is already getting ready for 16-year-old surgeries in its future. So I found an inch, I was looking at different ones that I wanted to show you this, different opinions, different evaluations. And I saw a piece in Redux, I think is how you pronounce it, but it's Feminist News and Opinion. Okay, so it's a feminist news site. And there, the article that I'm going to read you quick, the article is by Anna Slats. It says, a 10-year-old child is making headlines as the world's youngest trans model to walk the runway at New York Fashion Week after representing the trans clothing brand. Noella McMayer was a model at New York Fashion Week back in February, 
but the child's story has begun to receive additional media attention after it was announced that the 10-year-old had been signed on for modeling gigs until November. According to Noella's parents, the child began expressing gender dysphoria, get this, around age two. Age two. Referring to the boy using feminine pronouns, Noella's mother stated, quote, she would refuse to wear boy clothes and have tantrums because she was so young. Well, yeah, I mean, kids have tantrums about everything. She knew what she wanted, but didn't have the words to say it. I should have known earlier, as she hated anything masculine, so I brought her to a gender clinic. At age four, Noella was, quote, socially transitioned, referring to a process in which a child is affirmed in their gender identity by presenting as that gender while in public. So by age four, because the baby at age two was apparently against masculine things. How does First of all, how does a two-year-old know the difference between more feminine things and more masculine things other than what a, a parent is showing them? Because a parent is supposed to be a guiding authority figure that helps and brings a child into the world and develops their understanding of the world around them. So clearly that this was a created mentality by the parents, but I digress. It says by four, the kid was already appearing as a girl out in public. So the parents were making it look like the kid was a girl the whole time. Now, my thing is like when you're doing this to kids, it's easy to kind of hide it for a little bit. But what happens when they actually start looking like a boy, like a male? And that's why I think they're trying to rush this too, is they freak these kids out saying, hey, if you don't, if you don't stop getting, if you don't start getting your hormone therapy before you go through puberty, you're going to look like a big, evil, ugly man, right? Blah, blah, blah. And I think it's also the parents freaking out because then their trans kid that they've been dressing up as a girl this whole time as a child is going to start to look like a young man because he'll go through puberty. So I think that this is literally like child abuse, sexual abuse, I would say, especially if you're putting the kid through surgeries, because you are affecting their ability to do things like procreate in the future, breastfeed in the future if you're a biological woman. All of this is just completely disgusting. I think it's abuse of children. And the the parents that do this are mentally ill. It says, it was around this time of four years old that Noella's mother said she brought the child to therapy at a gender development clinic. During the appointments, Noella told the gender counselor he was a girl. By age six, Noella's legal documentation was changed to girl. Six. This is what what's interesting. But information on the child's family is often left out of the glowing profiles. Dee McMahon, Noella's biological mother, is a social justice advocate who identifies as non-binary, appears to be on hormone replacement therapy, and recently had a cosmetic surgery or a cosmetic mastectomy. Both she and her current partner are females who identify as transmasculine. According to the Point Foundation website, McMahon has been an advocate and educator for transgender children for 10 years, roughly since around the time Noella was born. In 2019, McMahon and Noella were featured in People's World during a legal episode in which McMahon was fighting for full custody of her child from her biological father, Timothy McMord. So the biological father has been trying to save this kid, apparently. According to McMahon, McCord has been opposed to the four-year-old Noelle's transgender identity. McCord and McMayer had been separated at the time, but the father had visitation rights and the two parents shared childcare duties during the week while she was at work. 
At the time, McMayer was employed at the Rainbow Family Support Center as a transgender advocate, and the father's visitation often included making dinner and putting Noella to bed. So this is where things get sketchy. It says the father apparently caused in 2016 a fracture in Noella's arm because he was trying to put her into boy pajamas. Then he gave Noella some medication and sent the child to sleep, but the next morning Noella was in pain and McMayer reported the father to Child Protective Services and he was arrested on charges of aggravated child abuse. Hmm. It says McMayer also fought to have McCord charged with a hate crime, but the court determined there was not enough evidence to do so. In 2018, McCord pleaded to a lesser charge and was handed probation rather than jail time. So the father figure was was removed. And I don't know what happened behind the scenes. We don't know. We're just seeing this very basic version of it. But Child Protective Services was used. I hope that nothing malicious happened there. And this was the real story. But wow, that is sad. And so now that the father figures removed, these two trans females are, or I guess, biological. Uh, the mom is a biological woman that now identifies as trans, I think. They are able to kind of have full access and radicalize their child. That is so, so sad. So now this 10 year old is on the world stage. If you look at the outfits that it's wearing, I think it's highly sexual. It's a biological boy dressed up as a girl on fashion runways. And by 16, the parents are ready to put the child through surgeries that will completely alter their life forever. You guys, that's an absolute tragedy. I swear. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to wrap it up with that. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't yet, please review the ep- the show. Give us a five-star review if you don't mind and a little worded review. And uh, let me know what you think. I appreciate it. hope you guys have a great week. Bye. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.